Amen. Y'all give it up for Pastor Keaton, our youth ministry, what God has done. You know, some of y'all are maybe a guest here this morning with us, maybe been here with us a long time. I'll just, I want to encourage you if you wonder what he's talking about. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about the body of Christ building up one another for the work of the ministry and, and for the community of the, go- the gospel community and love. And so 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, right? Like we're not all hands. We're not all feet. We're not all eyes. We're all, not all, all those things, right? We have to be together in a gospel community sharing life with one another and we make up for each other's weaknesses. But that's just not just in our natural ability or our natural talents, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has given all the believers for for those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has been lavished upon, upon all those who believe in Jesus to fill them up so that they could operate in different gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know what those gifts are, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, share some of those. Don't y'all love the love chapter, verse 1 Corinthians 13? I, I just quote that to my wife all the time. Love is patient, babe. Please forgive me. But what I love about 1 Corinthians 13, it's in the context of these spiritual gifts. And it says, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. We'll be at Nehemiah in just a second. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So there's a tongue of men and a tongue of angels. What is he talking about? Well, it's, it's, he's talking about this gift of the Holy Spirit tongues is what Keaton was talking about. And, and it's such a good thing. It's such a good gift to encourage one another. But it must be done in love. Like every time we come together, there should be a love felt by one another, shouldn't there? There should be this exchange of love. And the way that we do that, we're gentle with one another. It's why, it's why you know, if you start dancing in worship, but you're bumping your neighbor, that's not so gentle. You know, like keep it, keep your elbows down, you know. <laughs> Come down. You know, just watch Hitch. Watch Will Smith. It'll help you out a little bit. It'll help you out in, in your rhythm during worship. It'll help you out in, in where you are. That we would respect one another. That we love one another. And then as, as the Holy Spirit gives you gifts, maybe he gives you a word for somebody of encouragement. Maybe he gives you a tongue that you could pray in, that you could edify yourself in. Or maybe he gives you just a supernatural language that you don't know that crosses a language barrier. And so... We are not cessationists here. Uh, what I mean by that is we are not a church that believes the gifts have ceased. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still alive and active and moving. And what I love about camp is for five days, our kids get to go and they get to chase after God. They get to worship him with their mouth, with their song. They have the liturgy of reading the word and being encouraged and sharpening one another. And then there's moments where they get to live out some of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 with one another. What gifts of the Holy Spirit look like in the church. And it's such a beautiful place, which... Quite honestly, I'm jealous because we don't get a lot of that in our Western culture where how the way we do church where you punch in for an hour, maybe an hour and five if you wanted coffee before you came in here and you, you punch in and, and, and there's, there's these moments where we're trying to um, do all that God has called us to do in one hour of meeting together and it just isn't possible fully is it it's not possible. In fact, we're going to read in Nehemiah how, how they worshiped God for a quarter of the day. For a quarter of the day, for two and a half hours, they sang songs to God. They worshiped God. That's a lot of singing. Some of you checked out song number four. Any, any confessions? I'm just kidding. And then they read the word of God for another two and a half hours. Actually, the law, the book of the law, they, they read this for another two and a half hours. Whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot of church. 
It's a lot of moments. It's a lot of time. But I just know this. I know this about my human soul and my mind and where I am. Sometimes I just need some, some intensives. Have you ever needed an intensive in your life where you just needed to focus on really what's important of what's most important to you? And, and a five-minute, 10-minute, 15-minute devotion in the morning and shotgun prayers throughout the day are really good. They're really great, actually. They, they bring you closer to Christ when you do that. But sometimes we need some intensives. It's why we're going to have a men's retreat September 14th and 15th. And we're going to grab the men, all these men. Oh, yeah, come on, baby. Come on. Somebody. Hallelujah. Got a charismatic over here. All right. We're going to. We're going to do that. We're going to get away as men, and it's going to be an intensive where we get to worship without our phones and without distractions and without the responsibility of our kids for a weekend. Praise God for the women, and, and we get to do all this stuff, and, and we need moments like that in our life. Now, now, I'm preaching what I'm about to read to you, and I'm going to read it so that hopefully this will validate the things that I'm saying this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7 is where we left off last week. And I was going to be so audacious today to try to go through five chapters, five and a half chapters of Nehemiah and, and conclude this, this very long book that has a lot to say. It's not going to happen, unfortunately. But I have to finish tomorrow before we start our At The Movie series or, or start finish next week. Because our At The Movie series, we... It's a moment to invite guests, to talk about some topical things that are happening in our lives, some felt need stuff, but using scripture and the truth of God's word to deal with those things and seeing how gospel can be seen throughout culture and throughout movies and cinema and all that stuff. It's really fun, you know. We're going to be doing some really cool stuff. So i got to finish Nehemiah. And so thank you for being here. Apparently you aren't scared off yet. I've been trying to scare you off every week. Um, this is not my forte. It's not what I like to do. I, I love... Sunday mornings to be an inspiration for you. Quite honestly, I want to inspire you to live a life towards God for the rest of your week. That's what I love to do. Um, maybe you grew up in a setting like this and maybe it was something different for you. And, and we hope that there's expressions um, like doing worship with a song every week and reading the scripture every week and providing the Lord's Supper for you every week. We, we try to implement some of, these, some of these cherished things in the Christian church and Christian teaching, but but my hope and my desire when I'm up here is not only read God's word, but to inspire you. How many of you need just inspiration? And not, not just a felt good message or not just a bestseller of my best life now, which is so good. We need a best life now. But I want to inspire you through the word of God, through scripture, to keep you going on. I love saying this. Fan the flame that is inside of you. Fan the flame that's inside of you. There's something flickering in all of us. The Lord had moved and he showed up for those who were in Christ and professed his name and believed him and turned away from their sins. There's a, fan, there's a flame burning inside you and I just want to fan that flame. You know, it's, it's, it, I want to fan it so much. I want it to be like a, almost like a, a, a wildfire that's happening in your soul but contained by, by a God who is absolutely in control. But I want you to move with that passion. It's my desire. It's the only thing that breaks the normative out of our life, right? It's the only thing. I mean, what gets you out of you? What gets you out of you? What is it? What I mean by that, and when I'm talking about you, I'm talking about that, that fleshly makeup, you know, that fallen nature, 
that, that thing that is prone to sin, prone to wonder. We've been singing it for hundreds of years, prone to sin, prone to wonder. There's something about us that's prone to sin and prone to wonder, if you realize that. And there's something inside of us that's saved or not saved because we're moving to the likeness of Christ. And I have to fan the flame inside of you. And so do connect groups. And so does discipleship. And am I going to just read some scripture? Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I love encouraging my friends and family here. God, I pray that this would be an encouragement of one another. I pray that this platform up here would be a platform of teaching your word. That your word is absolute. Your word is relevant. Your word is absolutely what we need. Coming from an imperfect human to other imperfect humans trying to be more like Jesus. And so we want to see you so clearly all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter five, 7 verse 5 is where we left off. And this is a great place. To set it up, maybe if you haven't been in our Nehemiah series, Nehemiah got a burden for a people. You may remember this chapter 1, he got a burden for a people. He started praying and started fasting for the people. When he heard what was happening, that the temple was destroyed and the wall was um, just in ruins. And, and Ezra goes in and rebuilds the temple and there needs to be a wall. And so Nehemiah gets a heart for prayer, a heart for the wall, a heart for the people. Because it was more than just Nehemiah and it's more than just you. Say it's not about me. But it includes you. That's awesome. He gets a heart for the people, and he starts to rebuild the wall. And you saw his strategy that the God downloaded to him while he was fasting and praying and getting wisdom. Have you ever tried to decide something in life, a, a, maybe a business decision, maybe a life decision, but you didn't pray about it? And it doesn't go real well because, because the wisdom of God actually is very relevant for your life to seek God's heart and his wisdom for each situation. And so he prays and he fasts and he sets this moment of, of having this devoted time. And then we see these moments of shotgun prayers where, where the king asked him, Oh, what do you want, Nehemiah? And he, he popcorns a prayer up. I like to call it popcorn prayer. Sometimes we do that throughout the day in life. Uh, Chris just finished step two. He popcorn prayed, God help me on this test because I need to become a doctor. Right, so some of us popcorn prayers, but, but there was also preparation and there was fasting and, and the Lord uses all of that to fulfill his purpose and this wall goes up and there's opposition and we talked a lot through Nehemiah, the things that we pulled out, we haven't pulled out verse by verse, but we've pulled out certain themes that there's opposition to the things that God wants to build in the church, the things that God wants to build in you, the thing that God wants to build in your marriage and with your kids, there's opposition to you and we painted that picture not just in Old Testament, Old Law, but in New Testament that there's still an enemy who's going after the believer, after the saint to keep you exactly where you are and so this is what we happen is this opposition and and there's not just opposition on the outside from the enemy but there's opposition on the inside of your heart and your soul where you realize oh Nehemiah and he had this epiphany that I was working people so hard that it caused injustices to happen to people be sold into slavery people couldn't pay their bills that I just pushed the gas a little bit too hard and I had to start making things right and I pulled back a little bit but God's work was still done how many of you realize that 
Some of us believe this lie is that, that God's work's not going to get done unless I do make it all happen. Unless I make it all happen according to my ability, according to my gas pedal, according to my drive and my push. And I'm thankful for that, right? I'm thankful that, that God will use you, but he wants to use you in righteousness. He wants to use you in holiness. And that's another theme is this holiness is falling apart. Falling into line and the people of Jerusalem. And then we celebrated the walls are complete. Last week the walls were finished. This was a good moment for us. After six weeks of hearing this sermon. That's a good time. Thank you. Some conclusion. And yet it's still not done because there's still some things that are happening. Because God wasn't just interested in building a wall. He was interested in building a people. God's not just, right, interested in the destination. He's interested in the journey. That's what's happening in your soul and what's happening in your life. God is concerned about all of that. If he wanted you just at the destination, he would have just made that happen. But there's some things that are being built. In Nehemiah 7.5, then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles from Nebuchadnezzar. The king of Babylon had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. That here we have this moment where, where God completes a wall and he brings the, the nobles and those in authority and those in leadership into right position. I'm just going to say, if God's going to build a people, he needs leaders. If God's going to build a people, he needs to assemble the authority of the people within the house of God. So here locally, we've done that as Luminous, where we have this leadership and this board and, and different night team directors and our elders and candidate. If you didn't hear about this, but Voltaire and Cecile, who are in this candidacy for eldership, and being evaluated by all of you, which is no pressure, as we talked about last week. That they would help shepherd you and guide you. And we gather these people to do what God has called us to do. Because we have to position the leaders rightly. Because authority and the right authority makes a difference. Makes a difference. We don't like the word authority. So we like to replace it sometimes with like leadership you know or 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 you know directors or those in charge but God has set up an authority he's instead of positional authority he's given authority over land we have authority in the United States we have a governance that God has allowed to set place and and we're super blessed because of that in Nehemiah 8 1 it says this and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gates and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matahiah, Shema, and a bunch of names I'm going to try to pronounce. 
Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padeah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbedanai, Zechariah, whew, thank you for that Sunday school, and Meshalom on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. So you may think, why do we stand when we read the word of God? You may go to a lot of churches do that because we stand out of reverence that this, this is a standing of, this is the authority, and we're going to stand out of reverence for this. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, a lot of other names I can't pronounce very well, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shepathiah, Shepathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. What a great preaching moment. Isn't that amazing where we take some of these things that they've done to explain how we do church. Hey, let's get a platform like this. Let's not make it out of wood. Let's make it out of aluminum so it's portable so we can set up in a movie theater. And then, and then let's read the word. But then let's expound on the word a little bit so that people can have some understanding of what that word means and what it means for them specifically. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe in verse 9, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the wine, and spend portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. What a great moment that the word of God, the, the book of the law was read, and, and the people realized as it was read and it was explained that we have not been following that very well. They had this moment that God brought up, that we have not been obeying the law. In fact, we've been far from the law. We have not been a holy people. And when you realize that you fall short of perfection, it kind of does something to you, doesn't it? It kind of makes you a little mournful, a little grieving. After reading the law and realizing over the last hundred years that we have not been obeying this, we have not been subject to this, that we've fallen from grace, they begin to put on this spirit of mourning and weeping. And, and, and what does the Levite say? Stop it. Why? Why did they stop it? Because it wasn't the time. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, there's a time for mourning a time for weeping, a time for rejoicing, a time for laughing. There's a time and a place for everything. And what I love about the word right here is they, he, God is so amazing that he stopped their emotionalism in this moment. There's been other times that the word of God was read and people weeped. We read this over and over again. We read about kings who read the word uh, uh, and started weeping 
because they fell short of it. But in this moment, it was the seventh month of the year. They were about to enter into the Feast of Booths. They're about to party and celebrate, and the people are sad because they haven't heard the word of God in a long time, and they fell short. They started doing this. And here's what's great. God doesn't want to give you, you over to yourself. God doesn't want to give you over to yourself and over to your emotions. Do you realize how bad off we would be if we'd be given over totally to our emotions and to ourself? Like, I wouldn't be up here. I would be in a hole crying all the time. I would, I, would, I would not be doing what I'm supposed to do when it's time to do the dishes. I wouldn't do it because I begin on myself and I, I don't feel like it, babe. Well, can you take the kids to school? Nah. I really just want to play video games with my son. That's what I want to do. Hey, can you go get a job? Nope. Don't want to get a job. Don't feel like it. No, I just don't want to do it. Do you realize, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. I'm, you know, using this hyperbole because here's the thing. It's, it's a reality is that, that we don't do this in the simple things, but we do it all the time in life. And we begin to make a doctrine and belief system out of it. You see, in China, when the underground church was really taking off and, and, and so many um, Chinese were coming to Christ, I, I believe the latest stat, um, and I don't know who comes up with this, but, but the latest stat is there's over 100 million Chinese who profess Christ, who, who love Jesus, and, and the church underground is moving and growing. And there was this people group who really loved God and came in encounter with God, and God showed up, and they read their scriptures. And, and, and when they read the scriptures, they started being mournful and started crying. And they started crying because, because tears represented true repentance. The tears, the crier, the crying actually, it, it, it actually is, it, it's the gateway into allowing God to move, right? I have to cry and I have to conjure it up and I have to do all this stuff. And they're becoming the weepers. The weepers. It's 20 million people represented the weepers at the time. And it's taking a lot of theologians that come across and say, hey, man, you don't have to weep for God's presence. He's already here. You don't have to weep to feel God's love and affection. He already loves you. And so there's this moment where God wrecks us and we feel repentant and we do need to move into an emotion. But we don't need to be navigated and make our theology out of emotion. If your theology is based on emotional circumstance, I would question if you really have the right theology and if you're serving the right God. And this is the thing that happens so often is, is God is replaced with little g God all the time. And it happens in the church over and over again. Oh, no, this is the way to go. This is how you earn salvation. This is how you do all this. And, and we miss it. And, and God's not mad at the weepers. He's not mad at them. And it doesn't mean they aren't saved. It doesn't mean they aren't sons and daughters. It doesn't, it, it doesn't negate their salvation. You just bring some moments of correction. And, and Nehemiah was saying, hey, in, in, chapter, in, in this chapter, before the, the feast of the boots, we just want to let you know, don't be given over to emotionalism or hedonism. Don't be given over to your self-pleasure right now because that's what you feel. In fact, I'm going to command you to rejoice. 
to have fun, to be excited that the, the wall is done and the Feast of Booths is here and we're so excited. He, he's telling them, I want you to go get an Airbnb and have fun with your family. And that rhymed. It's awesome. I want you to celebrate. I want you to enjoy life. This is, you have times of mourning, times of weeping, but there's times of celebration, and this is that time. This is that time. This is the moment. This is the moment that God has set up, that we've been celebrating this since the day of Moses, that we've been celebrating this, this, this feast of booths where you're going to go get palm branches and you're going to make a temporary shelter so you don't have to go too far away. And we come out and we party and we play, and it's awesome. Right? God's good. He loves you, and he wants you to do this. And there's seasons in your life. There's seasons in the church. There's seasons in here where we're going to go through some pain together, and there's going to be some, some celebrations together. And here's the thing. If there's a celebration Sunday, and we're excited that God lives, and God is, and that God redeems, and we're celebrating, but you came in. <gasps> My boyfriend just broke up with me. Everybody's so happy, but I'm not happy. We're going to say, raise your hands, smile, celebrate. God is good. He's alive. Cheer up. Don't bring that spirit in here. Cheer up. It's great. God's doing awesome things. And then there's going to be seasons where it's some kind of tragedy, some kind of social injustice that's being plastered on the media. There's something happening in people's life, and we're going to be like, okay, let's rally around. Let's pray. Let's mourn. Do you understand? It's not about you. It's about us. It's about a people. God's building a people together. It's why you need church in your life every day. Because if without church, without this expression on a Sunday morning, you're given over to yourself. And whatever you're feeling inside and you give yourself over to that. Sometimes we just need to say, smile. It's going to be okay. Let's rejoice. Yeah, but I'm dealing with this. this is, we know you're dealing with that. I've dealt with that too. I've dealt with some pain and some sorrow and from some frustration, but today we celebrate. I can't. I just don't feel like it. It's hard. It's hard. I'm not telling you to grow up, but I'm telling you to mature, which is the same thing. Let's be a people who mature into the likeness of Christ. And if you're a guest with us, you do whatever you want because we just love you. We're trying to talk you into coming and hit back every week. And then we'll tell you to grow up. <laughs> Nehemiah 8, 13. And then we're going to read Nehemiah 9. To set the platform for Nehemiah 9, I just want to say that it is uh, uh, recounting history, historical facts. How people love God and they turned away from God. But God hasn't left them. I want to tell you that God hasn't left you. It's always people leaving God. That God has not left you. And if you believe that ungodly belief, you need to start confessing the truth over your life. You need to come in alignment with the truth of God's word that he has not left you nor forsaken you if you're a son or daughter. It's important to know. Because you're like, where is God? He's right there. That's where he is. Where are you? I'm broken. Dad, I'm broken. Father, I'm broken right now. Okay, I'm right here. See how it brings healing to your soul? It's what God wants for you at every level. 
Nehemiah 8, 13, 14. On the second day, the heads of the father's house of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of law. And they found it written in law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They should get Airbnbs and they should have fun and stay together and be in proximity just like youth camp. But adults can't do that anymore because we have too much responsibility. Come on, somebody. Chapter 9, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. It's a different season. The feast is over. Now we're moving into maybe some mourning, some reflection. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and inequities of their fathers. It's good to separate yourself from your foreigners and those who don't know Jesus when you're kind of confessing your sin before God. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day for another quarter of it they made confession and worshiped the lord their god on the stairs of the levites stood jeshua benai kamil shebaniah buni bunai uh sherebiah benai and chetnai and they cried with a loud voice to their lord their god i repent i am going to memorize these names next time i just confession i will do that this is so bad please edit that out of any video we ever put out okay then the levites some other names and i just can't stand up and bless the lord your god from everlasting to everlasting blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all the blessing and praise isn't it amazing though that god is so personal he puts all these names in there like he wants us to remember those I get mad so much when people call um, Brielle, Brielle, because phonetically it's Brielle, but we wanted Brielle, and we should really just, like, rewrite it, but we don't, so then we just correct everybody. But her name's important, and it's Brielle, so that's for you. It doesn't make sense, but neither does anything. <laughs> okay, you are the Lord, you alone, verse 6. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. This is a truth that he's declaring, that this is who God is, this is what he's made, this is what he's done. It's not an argument. If you're in Christ, you're in Jesus, it's not up for debate. It is the truth that God made the heavens and the earth. It is the truth. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram. He chose a man and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. He is a righteous father who keeps his promise. That means he's always in right standing. There is no wrong in God. God is never wrong. Quit arguing with him. He's not wrong. He's right. He is completely right. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai 
and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. I don't like that one, God. You may not like it. It's true. It's right. And you may note to them your holy Sabbath and command them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant you give them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst and you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And did not forsake them. Somebody highlight that in your Bible. Start confessing that this week. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You in great mercies, underline that, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years was sustained. You sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. We're still going. Y'all ready? And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and it took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness how many know we can eat and get fat and delight ourselves in the lord in fact that's what god wants that you would delight yourself in god fully that you would fully delight yourself in him nevertheless they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you that they committed great blasphemies Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the en their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments but sinned against your rules which if a person does them he shall live by them and they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets yet they would not give ear therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands nevertheless in your great mercies you did not make an end of them 
or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Why do we read such an important passage? Because we need to be reminded that, that as much as the people left, God was still there. As much as the people walked away, God is in the business of reconciliation. God is constantly and consistently going after you. That he's not going anywhere. He is not leave, leaving you nor forsaking you. And it's an important thing to know. And yet we become a foolish people. As Proverbs 26, 11 says so graphically. As a dog returns to its vomit so Fools repeat their volley, folly. That we're, we become a foolish people, a stiff-necked people, constantly wanting to go back after God. And this is the point is that for the people to not become a stiff-necked people, we have to do life together. We have to be in proximity together. We have to understand what the gospel fully is and what Jesus truly paid for and your sonship and your daughtership. You have to know that. And just like that, it's amazing that God is still in the business of building up walls around you. To protect you. Just like the walls of Nehemiah surrounded the temple so that the people could worship freely without fear. God has built walls around you with protection so that you can worship him without fear as well. He's amazing at that. I have this picture if you've ever seen a, a, a dog who has been beaten, right? A dog who's been beaten, neglected. A dog who's been thrown to the street. You'll understand this if you do any evangelism in Mexico, right? There's all these dogs on the street, and they don't have the resources to gather up these dogs that are, are, are neglected. And so, so these dogs just roam. But you know, you know an abused dog, right? When you try to pet it, what does it do? Like, it runs away. You know, it, it's skittish, and yet it's still around. Have you noticed that? Like, it still follows you, and then you turn around, you try to pet it, and it skids, it's skittish, and it runs away. And then you try it again and, and again and again. And I feel like sometimes I just had this picture that sometimes we're like the abused dog in a situation. Sometimes we're, we operate in such the same way that, that God, all he wants to do is pet us and hang out with us and, and teach us uh, new tricks like sit and stand or, or be amazing and be great and, and be the best that you can be and be, be uh, just, just all that God has called you to be. That's what God wants for us. And, and yet sometimes we just, we, we've been abused through maybe, maybe circumstances, maybe our parents or maybe friends or situations or different hurts and different pains. When I'm talking about abuse, it's the pains and the rejection and the shame and everything that's keeping you away from God. Everything that's keeping you away from God. What is it that's keeping you away from him? And God's so gentle because just like somebody who rescues a dog, and there's been many people in our church who's rescued dogs and rescued animals, you, you start, there, there's a trust that's being built. And you see, the owner already trusts the dog, typically, unless you're a bad owner, but God's not a bad God. A good, a good person is constantly, like, putting some food in his hand, letting him come to him, sitting there that this is a trust relationship and and if you ever met a dog that was once abused and, and now now it's like loved and it's loyal and it's there and it's amazing and like this is the worst analogy you're comparing us to dogs yes i am because of proverbs 
Because Proverbs equates foolish people like dogs, and sometimes we operate foolishly because we're not all that we can be in Christ, all that we're supposed to be. And if you don't recognize your position in Christ, then I would say, man, God is faithful. He's loyal. He's going to be there. Colossians 1.21 says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This gospel, the good news that Jesus became a man. He was God's son, became a man, and he lived this life that you and I couldn't live because he lived it perfectly because he was born of God's seed and not man's seed. And he took steps that you and I couldn't take, and he was tempted in every way and yet did not sin yet did not fall short and he lived his life perfectly and 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 then and then at 33 years of age ish he said i'm going to give my life for their life i'm going to give my life for your life a great exchange see you're tainted you're messed up you're jacked up see all the shame and guilt and everything that you feel is actually a true validation without christ you fall short. You're wicked. You're not worthy. You're not holy. You fall short. You're messed up. There's nothing that cause a chasm to be filled except for Jesus. He said, that's not how God sees them. It's not how God sees you. It's not how God wants to see you. Because it's not how he designed us and made us. And it wasn't his original intent. His original design was perfection. And because there was a separation because of sin, he has longed to bring it back into perfection. Because God's not done with you yet. So when Jesus paid the price on the cross to die for you and me, and he shed blood, innocent blood, it fell over a guilty man to cleanse him and to make him white as snow for those who believe in Jesus Christ it is what he has done and now he protects you by putting walls around us 2 Corinthians 4 8 we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed this doesn't make sense God I don't understand this situation I don't know what's going on I don't know what's going on with my finances my body the world everything that's broken but not driven to despair because we have hope we're persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed john 10 28 i give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand no one my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand because i put a wall around them a protection a seal upon their heart by the holy spirit and i and the father are one 2 Thessalonians 3 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have, and we, verse 4, have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. That you will love God and you will love people and you will finish this race. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you 
Father, I thank you for Nehemiah who was so obedient. God, to preserve the temple for a time so the greater one who could come to establish a temple that lasts, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you've been faithful to that. You're always faithful to that. You'll never stop. Father, for anybody who feels guilt, shame, feels like they were a little short, would you bring hope to them? Would you remind them that they are enough? They're enough. Enough for the plans and the purpose and everything that you designed and desired for them. They're not enough because of what they do. They're enough because of what you have done. We thank you for that, Jesus. Amen.